welcome into Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster, as well as the NCAA Men's Ice Hockey Regional Championship. I'm your host, JJ Jerez, with me, Arif Dean and Patrick Stedman, of course. Time to really break down one game. It was that victory over the New York Islanders. Uh, it surprised me that it would be the over, but Avs are now the first team in the NHL to get their 40th win, and they achieved another third-period comeback here. So, Arif, before we get into diving into the game, it's it just starting to feel to me that it doesn't matter what happens in the early stages of the game. 60 minutes just seems to be way too much time for opponents to fend off the, the Colorado Avalanche, right? They either beat you with goal scoring from the forwards, goal scoring from the defense. Some nights the goaltending's on point. There's just too many weapons on this team for any opponent to really ward off on any given night. Yeah, there seems to be two types of ways that the Avalanche go about making one of their 18 comebacks this season and 10 of them in the third period. Um, the first way is they just completely are flat coming out of the gate. And by flat, I mean they fall behind. Like against Winnipeg, they weren't by any means flat. They had some opportunities, but they went down 3 nothing. So that's one way to do it. The other way is they play fine. They maybe score the first goal, and then they fall into kind of a little bit of a deficit, whether it's one, two, or three goals. And then they come back later and kind of erase it. And that's what we saw against the Islanders is the first period wasn't the issue. The early part of the game wasn't the issue. It was the second. But in the first, Colorado was the better team. Darcy Kemper let in a little bit of a soft goal there to make it 1-1 after the first, despite the Avs playing better. The third period, they completely ran over them. But in the second, it got away from them for a little bit. They trailed for a bit. But just like the Winnipeg game, it was like, man, they got this. We're fine. It's funny to me, oftentimes when I'm rolling into the arena, as I was last night, I'm listening to the pregame show that they do on Altitude Radio, right? Just because they do a fantastic job. They give you some good insights, and I love the Jared Bednar conversation before the game. And just because, you know, heading into the game, I want to see what his goals are, what he's thinking about, and then after the game, kind of compare how, how they did, how they achieved those goals, right? And it was funny to me because this time, for the first time really ever, he seemed to have said the same thing in the beginning of the game as he said at the end of the game, and that was the importance of a good start this time. Right, He really needed to, the, the first goal. He wanted to get ahead on the New York Islanders because they're such a tough team to battle back against. But funny thing is, that's exactly what happened. And inst <laughs> instead of being able to, uh, I guess, fight back against the Islanders, they let the Islanders fight back against them and just kept letting them get in that game and get in that game until eventually the Islanders had to lead and the Avalanche had to find themselves crawling back from behind again. But then after the game, hearing his postgame comments, kind of reassessing that. And, you know, it didn't seem like he was too pleased on how they did with that. But they did get get out of the gate pretty strong and it ended up working out for him in the end. So not exactly the way he wrote it up, but they achieved his goals. And, uh, you know, I guess he can really just hang his hat on that. You know, the, the funny thing about the way that the Avalanche are making these comebacks this season is even if they're two or three goal deficits, Outside of the Boston game, it's not the kind of comebacks where you need to pull your goalie late to get that game-tying goal. And it's like last second, everybody's kind of biting their nails on the edge of their seat. Again, we did see it against the Bruins, and it was epic, and it was fun, and that pass from Landis, from Kadri to Landeskog, and it was, it was kind of crazy. But against Toronto, they entered the third down two goals, and they got those goals about midway through the third period. Against the Winnipeg Jets, they went down 3 nothing. Well, they scored six goals, and you know they won it pretty much early in the third period. Against the Islanders, it was the same exact thing. Like it, it's not taking 
until the end, the urgency and like that excitement of like the 2014 Avs where it was like, these are the comeback kids with a, you know, late Tyson Berry goal or whatever it was. So because of that, it doesn't feel as, it doesn't feel like they're making as many comebacks because they're kind of doing it so easily. It seems like, like they turn it on and they're like, all right, we're going to take care of this right now in the third period. And I even remember turning to you yesterday, early in the third and it was like three minutes in when I think Landeskog or Kadri, one of them drew, or no, Kadri drew the penalty, Landeskog scored the goal. But Kadri drew the penalty and I looked at you and I went, dude, they, they have 10 shots in the third and I've been watching and I don't even like, I saw them taking some shots. I didn't realize it was that much. And they obviously ended the third with 21 shots, but they had the game won way before then. And they obviously had the empty netter to, to put it away. Yeah, again, I just think that 60 minutes is too much time for any opponent to, to hang in there with these guys, right? I mean, the the Islanders had it at about 3-3, and that was about halfway through the second period, if not a little bit more. And I think that was the moment where you're like, the Islanders have no chance here. The, the Avs are going to take over this game and just lay it to them. And that's exactly what happened. And it's just they have so many weapons. And it's different than any other good team we've seen in NHL history because I feel like there are definitely more games where an opponent can come and hold them off and play a certain style of game that, you know, just doesn't let that the good team produce and the avalanche just seem to get through every barricade that put gets put in their way as long as they get 60 seconds 60 minutes to do it yeah and the funny thing is that entire last thing that i said there was a point behind it but i went on such a long rant that i forgot to make the point that i was making which is jared bedner like you said he didn't it didn't exactly get drawn out the way that he wanted it but what we're seeing is he's not necessarily doing a bad job as a coach. You know, we often like to look at the coach when a team starts flat or when they have to make all these comebacks because it seems like, so like the whole purpose of me saying all that was to say, if it takes until the last minute and it takes this like empty net goal where you got to pull your goalie six on five attack, you start to kind of look at the coach a little bit more and be like, well, how many times are you going to go to that? Well, for that to get you back into the game to win it in overtime. But because the Avalanche aren't doing that, because he's making the adjustments, which we've talked about all season with him, that's the biggest thing, the mid-game adjustments, because he's making them when he needs to make them, and they're coming out strong to start a third period, or they're coming out strong to start a second, or even in the beginning of a game, and taking over games and making those comebacks before it needs that last-minute urgency of basically luck on your side, a six-on-five attack, it's making him look a lot better. And, and that's pretty much the biggest thing here. And that's why, you know, a lot of people, we like to look at the avalanche and we like to say, yes, you've won 40 games, but let's see you play a better game. Well, no team is perfect. We talked about this last week with the Lightning last year and how Vasilevsky pretty much masked a lot of the things they had wrong with that with, with them on that team last year. But what you're seeing from the Avs is a coach that's able to make the adjustments, players that are responding well to it. It's a cohesive unit and they're winning these games handily. Like nothing about the Islanders game, and I even made the joke with you yesterday, but it was genuinely true. I tend to start to write my post-game stories during the second intermission, and during the second intermission, I even wrote a thing on there about, I had a paragraph where I wrote, the Avalanche started to mount their third period comeback, dot, 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 and I was like, I'll just leave this here until after the third period, because you just knew it was coming. So Jared Bednar's coaching, even if it's not a full 60-minute effort coming from his team, has improved vastly just because of the way that they're making these comebacks. Right, they're they're the ones scoring the empty nets, right? I mean, right now they have 
nine empty net goals, which is good for second in the NHL. So, you know, I think that says everything to your point. They're in the position that the other team's back is constantly against the wall. And then what happens when uh, they pull their goalie? The Avalanche are burying empty nets every single time, whether it's Miko Rantanen from downtown, Kale McCarr going over everyone's head, or like we saw last night from EJ, literally almost at the goal line. That was an empty netters. And so the way he put one hand up to celebrate, <laughs> that was such a flex. Like, I'm the shit. I did that. Yep. Nailed it. So, yeah, an amazing team we got here and just a, a historical team, right? We can't overlook the fact that this was the second fastest team in NHL history to reach 40 wins. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, what's a little bit worrisome about it is, and, and, I say worrisome, I say it very loosely because I don't believe in the president's trophy curse. I don't believe in the best teams never win. It's it's just a luck thing. It's the same reason why a Canadian team hasn't won since 1993. It's just, it's just the way it goes. Every season, seven Canadian teams have a chance and nobody's doing it. So the purpose of that is to say the, the record is the 2015-16 Capitals. They did it in 53 games, so one game earlier, which means all the Avalanche had to do was not blow a late third-period lead to the Arizona Coyotes a couple of weeks ago or a month ago now. Um, they did it in 53 games. The Avalanche tied in second, hitting it in 54 with the 1996 Red Wings. We know they didn't win because the Avalanche did and beat them in the process. And the 2008 Red Wings, who we obviously know won because they beat the Avalanche in the process. So... Of the four teams up there, the three teams that are tied at 54 games and the one team at 53 games, only one of the other three teams won. The 16 Capitals couldn't do it. The 96 Red Wings couldn't do it. The 08 Red Wings did. Now the Avalanche are right there, sandwiched in the middle, looking to be the second of that group to win the Stanley Cup. Yep, still have a big, big hurdle ahead, right? I was hanging out yesterday kind of around the snack food drink area before the game and Joe Sackick had just came up from Jack Johnson's thousandth game ceremony before he he was right popping out of the elevator right and somebody was talking to him and said hell of a team you've built here Joe the best team in the world there was another media member that said said that to him who rode the elevator kind of wrapping up their conversation with that right Joe's response to it was yeah we'll see yeah. Right. So he, even he is is keeping that pressure on and keeping that bar set high. I mean, I think I really love the idea of a president's trophy. It's great. I think there should be so much more emphasis put on it than we do just from the hockey world. But of course, nothing's done until the Stanley Cup is done. And that's really going to be a huge, huge task this year. And who who knows? I mean, that's the argument right now. Right. Is this team built? for a playoff run because yeah the regular season's awesome but i remember so vividly the 2009 and a couple earlier denver nuggets under george carl right they would mm. clean up the regular season because every single home game and just every game in general they were in a running gun style fast 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 and then they'd get to the playoffs and it wouldn't work now how comparable is that right there well, I mean, it's comparable, and I, we don't even got to go based off of the NBA comparison. We can just go based off of the avalanche of the last three years. And, you know, the biggest thing they have this year, and they still have a trade deadline to add more to it, is they play a more physical type of game. They play a more, I don't want to say physical as in like we're going to check you into the boards, but we they play a more dominant type of game. It's not run and gun, back and forth, track me, and we're going to beat you at that. We're not two people sprinting, and I'm just the faster sprinter than you. It's... We're both going to jog. We're both going to do this marathon thing, but you're going to stop before me and then I'm going to win. 
It's it's a different approach. And look at me going the hockey, going the running route because that's the you know the, my easiest thing to compare <laughs> it to every single time. But that's kind of the way they're playing this year. They have guys like Logan O'Connor on the third line. Granted, he maybe has slowed down a little bit in terms of offensive production, but he's got a specific type of game that he brings to the table that's going to help you in the playoffs. They got these guys on the top six. Obviously, the the re, the massive rebound from Nazem Kadri is the biggest one because I think. We don't talk about this enough, man. The The second line against the Vegas Golden Knights last year was Nichushkin centered by Tyson Jost. Like, they didn't really have a real second line last year. They had Brandon Saad playing up there. They had Donskoy playing up there. But their second line center, obviously Nichushkin, but their second line center was a combination of JT Comfort or Tyson Jost. Alex Newhook was still young and Kadri was suspended. And hell, even when he played, he wasn't very good last year second half of the season in playoffs. So just adding him in is going to be a massive piece, an upgrade on the avalanche of years past. Gabe Landeskog, the step he's taken, I know he's been good in years past, but what he's doing this year says to me he's going to be primed for a Stanley Cup run. And I don't know why, I just have this sense, and he may be as fifth on the list of people you would expect, but I have this thing in my brain that says the first time the avalanche win the Cup, Gabe Landeskog is going to win the Conn Smythe. I don't know what it is, but I just feel it. The type of game he plays, in order for the Avalanche to win, they need Gabe Landeskog to do Gabe Landeskog things in the playoffs. And if he does those things in the playoffs, he's going to be recognized to the point where he's the Conspite Trophy winner. It'll be tough, obviously, given the guys he's going up against if the Avs were to win the Cup. So something about their team this year is different. And then they still have the opportunity. And I haven't even gotten to Eric Johnson, by the way, who was missing last year and having him on board, having another guy in Jack Johnson, having these leaders on this defensive core that play a specific type of game. The Devon Caves evolution, Valerie Nachushkin using his body a little bit more than he was last year. Kale McCarr maturing into a more steady piece. No injuries the last three months. Knock on wood. I'm not actually going to knock it because Patrick will, you know, just cut it out, but knock on wood, not as many injuries the last 90 days as we saw in previous seasons and early this year. There's a lot of things about this team that are different from last year. But despite all of that, it just takes one series, one hot goalie, one rough patch to lose four straight like you did against the Golden Knights last year. No, I'm confident. I really like your Gabe Landeskog comment there. And I feel like he historically rises to the occasion come playoff time. I'm confident that we'll expect... The same thing this year, and he's going to rise to the occasion again. And, and same with Nathan McKinnon. Same with the uh, everybody that the Avs have been depending on this season. Kale McCarr, I think, is itching to have himself a, a big time playoff run. So, and you know, Devon Taves, he scored goals, right? We saw him score a goal last night against his former team, first game against the New York Islanders, and he not only gets a goal, two assists thrown in there as well. So, just a little um, rubbing in the face of the Islanders fans and, and the team. Hey. And the GM. You lost. And the GM. Yeah, yeah that, <laughs> let's get into the GM, huh? That was kind of fun. He wasn't sitting last night in his typical GM's box. He came out and sat in the press box with his scratch players, and that's not something you normally see from a, from an opponent GM. It, it's so funny. It looked like him and his henchmen. And uh, obviously, if, if you guys know Lou Lamorello, the Islanders GM, he's got this straight face. He's a really old guy. He's in his 70s, I believe. He's got this straight face um Call it RBF, call it whatever you want to call it. You know, he's <laughs> he's got this look on him. And uh, we had this running joke going during the game yesterday where anytime something would happen, we would look up at Lou Lamorello and see what his reaction is. So like, for example, Nathan McKinnon scored. Look up at Lou Lamorello. 
boom, just straight face, straight at the ice, just like we're trailing one nothing. Well, the yeah, Islanders. Somebody, somebody make sure he's breathing. Somebody make sure he's still alive. Yeah. <laughs> well, the Islanders eventually in the second period, Devon Tave scores. Let's look up at Lou Lamorello. You look up at him, same exact face, but there was a little bit of a nod. There was a little bit of a nod. And I'm kind of looking at him like, yeah, I just traded two second rounders for this guy. God damn it. And then the Islanders score two goals and now they've got the lead. And you look up at Lou Lamorello, same face, no change. The Avalanche come back, say like it never changed. I'm like, they could win the Stanley Cup and he'll be sitting up there, same face, just staring at the ice with his healthy scratches. Poker face. Yeah, you you gotta think for him. I mean, we were celebrating Jack Johnson's thousandth game, right? For Lula Amarillo, I mean, think about how many hockey games that guy has witnessed and had to sit there and watch. There has to be a point for him where, you know, it kind of starts to look like a, a, a washing machine with just yeah. two teams going around and around and around. He's just zoning out with his grumpy face. Uh, just that poker face the entire time. <laughs> you, you ever seen that meme where it's like me happy, me sad, me excited, me mad, and it's the same picture okay. every single time. It's just Kawhi Leonard, Kawhi Leonard, Kawhi Leonard. It's just the same thing every time. So that's kind of the same exact idea that you got going on right now with, with Lou Lamorello. Everything that happens... The reaction doesn't change, and it was hilarious. Every time something would happen, I'd be like, let's look at Lou Lamorello and see how he's reacting. Boom, same straight face. And he had every right to give a reaction too, right? Let's get into that overturned goal that really kind of turned the momentum on the game and and changed the whole story of the outcome. So, um, yeah, quite the overturned goal. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a puck go that far into the net and get overturned, right? I definitely expected it to be a call where they say not enough evidence to overturn the call on the ice but apparently you know i was actually also surprised by how quickly they made their decision too i mean yeah. it was pretty fast so um i guess your thoughts on the overturn goal and uh yeah anything else you want to throw out there about it so i also thought it was a goal and i'm going to explain kind of why but in terms of the rulings of what the nhl considers a goal it was absolutely not a goal so you can take a puck and you know and you can take the goal line and they could be touching each other but they're not overlapping. They're just touching. That's what happened yesterday. They were not overlapping. They were touching. You ever seen that one play in the Super Bowl way, way back a few years ago where everybody made a meme out of it because the ref literally took a piece of paper to measure the first down? It was pretty much that. You couldn't put a piece of paper between the puck and the goal line, and that's why they called it off. Because in the NHL, just like Jared Bednar straightforwardly said in his postgamer, when we asked him if he thought it was a goal, he said, no, we knew on our monitor it wasn't a goal right away. You cannot see the white in between. So that's the difference. It's not that the goal line and the puck can be touching, but not overlapping. It's that they need to be separate just a very little bit enough to see that white in between. And you couldn't. So I thought it was a goal. I thought if the ruling was different, if the if the way the NHL considers it to be a goal was written a little bit differently, it would have been allowed to be a goal. But judging by the rule book, you got to see the white in between. It was not a goal and it was a good call. So I think the ref didn't want to overthink it. He didn't want to be the NFL ref with a piece of paper going, okay, can we do this? It was just, let's see it. We don't see white in between. Let's not waste anybody's time. Call on the ice, no goal. I can see why Islanders fans were frustrated. I, I don't condone throwing trash and empty beer cups onto the ice after the game and up being upset like they did, or at least I assume it was them. Uh, but a couple things, you know, there's a, a picture floating around the internet today of that picture of that puck right on top of the goal line. Right. 
And it's hard for me to really buy into that picture because it kind of feels like there's a little bit of an angle on it, right? It's not directly overhead. It's a little bit behind the shot. So if there was a little bit of a white line in between the puck and the goal line, you're not going to see it from that angle. Secondly, and I brought this up to you last night in the press box, it makes me think of the tennis technology that they have, right? Whenever a player challenges if it was in or out, They use sound technology, so they can't use it in hockey, so that's out the window. But when it happens, they zoom in so, so far until they can get a conclusive result. Sometimes they're literally in in a microscopic zoom in, and you see a little sliver of space between the ball and the out-of-bounds line. I feel like that's what would have happened here. But since it was so small, and the cameras that the NHL is working with can only zoom in so far, they had to call it a no goal based off what they saw. Yeah, I mean, based off of the... I mean, we've seen... We've seen different variations of this before. We've seen variations where it's like the puck might be in the net, but the defenseman was over the puck and we just can't tell. You know, there was that one play earlier in the season where the puck got lost in the goalie's pad and the goalie's pad went way in. Like there was, even though you couldn't see the puck itself, you know the puck's in there. We saw his pad. We saw the puck enter the pad where his ankle is and the goalie's pad was in the net from the knee down the ankle is part of the knee down that's a definite goal so we've seen goals get overturned where it's like that might be in but we just can't say and that might be what was what what the idea was yesterday i personally don't think it completely crossed the line in the way that the nhl says it to be which is there has to be a little bit of room in between isn't that also how they judge um like offsides if you're trying to keep the puck in the zone and it's about to leave don't you have to be able to see ice in between the the blue line and the puck yeah exactly okay. yeah i thought so yeah so it's it's yeah it's the exact same way and i and i understand why the nhl is doing that because if you say it just needs to be well now you're going to sit there and be like well the puck's a circle is it touching the line or is it just a little bit over the line and how do you measure that let's avoid all confusion and just say you got to see the white in between they obviously don't have the technology like tennis i know in the past that there's been talks about that technology but it just wouldn't work as easily with a puck, the way it's shaped, the way it bounces side to side, and how not all the sides are the same compared to a sphere of a tennis ball where no matter when it hits the floor, how it hits the floor, it's the same shape. So that's the issue with that one. And you know, I and I get what you're saying because that technology is awesome. You just see the replay, it zooms in, and you're like, yep, the shadow doesn't cross the line. We're good. So it would be cool if the NHL had that, but they don't. The biggest thing for me in that is Barry Trotz mentioned that uh, if it wasn't a goal, it should have been a penalty on Ryan Murray. Because if you go back and look at the replay, the stick that knocked the puck out wasn't Ryan Murray's. Him and the defense, him and the Islanders player, I can't remember who it was. It may have been Aho, but him and him and the Islanders player were battling back and forth and he hit the Islanders guy's stick and the Islander guy was trying to push the puck into the net and then his, his stick went over the puck and then he brought it back out. Because of the stick infraction from Murray. Now, here's the other thing that I saw. Nicholas Abe Kubel, when when Aho was going in and taking that shot, which, by the way, how the hell did that even pass Darcy Kemper? It like hit the back of him and then the post. But when Abi Kubel was beat by that player, he completely wrapped his arm and his stick around the player and kind of looked like he should have gotten called for a penalty. So... I kind of agree with Barry Trotz that if it wasn't a goal, it should have been a penalty on the Avalanche. And that would have changed a lot of things because the Avs scored pretty quickly after and they would have been shorthanded had that been the case. 
But such is the way it goes. The puck bounces your way sometimes. It doesn't bounce your way other times. And so do the calls. It all just worked out well for the Avalanche in that specific case. The Islanders definitely let it get to them, too. They right? did. That was a 100%. big make-or-break moment. They had a chance to take control of the game a little bit here, and it just got ripped away from them, and they kind of let it show with their body language. And not too shortly after, Andre Burakovsky put in that fourth goal to give the Avs the one-goal lead. And right then, I looked right at the Islanders' bench to kind of see Barry Trott's reaction. I thought maybe he'd be screaming at the ref or something, but no, you could just tell he was talking to his assistant coach saying, like, this is bogus. Um, but the but the body language of the players were just so flattened, and they were just like, that's it. We, we held them off this long. We can't hold them off anymore, and now they have the lead, and we're toast. So... Um, yeah, definitely a momentum changer and uh, good to see Andre Burakovsky score another one there. Yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about him. Why don't we? I mean, Burakovsky's played the last three games on the top line and it kind of rejuvenated him. Um, in the first two games, he scored while on the top line. By the way, he scored the game winning goal at, the ball, at ball Arena the last two games, the Winnipeg game and now the Islanders game. But against the Islanders, what I like is after the second period, Jared Bednar switch the lines back up again. You know, you're trailing by a goal entering the third. Let's put Landeskog back up with Ranton and McKinnon. Why not? And then Berkey was down with Kadri and Newhook because obviously Nachushkin was a lower body injury scratch day to day. So Berkey actually scored that game-winning goal playing with Kadri. And maybe he returns to the top line against the Coyotes by the time you guys are listening to this. Maybe he plays on the second line. Regardless, this experimentation, the different options, everything we discussed on Sunday about what Jared Bender is doing with the lineups... By putting Burakovsky on that top line, it brought him back to life. The first period he was back on that line with Kadri, he scored for the first time in 17 games with Kadri as his center and the guy that assisted on it. So shout out to Berkey. He's a streaky scorer, but he's damn good at it. Yep, yep, and uh, that's exactly why the Islanders were so Islander fans that were in attendance were so angry, right, and had to throw their uh, alcohol onto the <laughs> ice, but. Definitely was an alcohol that they got from Total Beverage because everybody knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure. Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, and maybe even alcohol-free cocktails. But did you know that they deliver? Did you know that they have curbside pickup available? And did you know that they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage. Again, stop by on 104th in Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at totobev.com. Total beverage, everything you need, and more. Dang, I got that total the drink recipes line. I, I nailed it. <laughs> Every time. time you say it, that's why I'm smiling. Every time you say the drink recipes online, I always sit there and go, well, oh, damn, I'm drinking a recipe. <laughs> Hell yeah. I, I always have to hear it that way. I think now. I said it right that time, though. For me, I, a lot yeah, of the you way did. I say you it, did. a lot of times it comes through my brain that way. But I think I, I crushed it that time. Patrick saying, no, shoot. Well, just edit it. Clean it up. Clean it up, Patrick. Clean it up for us. Um, moving on, a couple more things to get to. Let's get to a, a few individual players, right? Uh, we know Kale McCarr. We've mentioned it for the last couple podcasts. Just a playmaker in every sense of the word. Sitting currently at nine straight games with at least one assist. And, uh, you know, still doing his Kale McCarr thing. That is a new franchise record, officially. Nine straight games with an assist. Um, and... Uh, Let's just do a pop quiz. How many assists do you think he's got in those nine games? Oh, I'll go with 13 off the top Ooh, of my head. Very close, 14. And he didn't even go over. So price is right. You won. Actual retail value is 14. So Come on down. Come on down. He's got 14 assists in nine games. Kale McCarr leads defenseman with 58 points. 
Next best is five fewer. Roman Yossi's got 53 despite playing one game more. And his 40 assists are second in the NHL, trailing only, sorry, third in the NHL, trailing only Adam Fox and Chris Letang. He's got a lot more goals than both those guys. And his 18 goals are four greater than the next two best, which are Yossi and Ekblad. Safe to say he is running away with the scoring title among defensemen, which likely will mean he's also going to run away with the Norris. It's pretty much a two-headed race right now. The two-headed monster is, is pretty much at the top of the race right now for the Norris Trophy, Kel McCarr and Victor Hedman. And then you got some guys like Ekblad and even Roman Yossi and Adam Fox kind of right there as well, but not as much as those two guys are. And there, there's not a lot. There's not enough you can say about Kale McCarr. Uh, he's, he's been incredible. He's got five game-winning goals, and he's got 14 assists in his last nine games. Hilarious to me, last weekend I was watching the outdoor game, the stadium series that they were holding in Nashville between the Lightning and the Predators. And before the game, you know, the announcers pumping it up and everything, talking about, you got two of the league's best defensemen here, if not the best defensemen, and Roman Yossi and Victor Hedman, number two and three in the league in, in points for defensemen only behind Kale McCarr. And in my head, I'm like, well, then it sounds like Kale McCarr is the best defenseman, not either <laughs> yeah. of those two. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's just funny to hear that and, and still, you know, th- throwing those Yossi and Hedman names out there. But Kale McCarr is kind of surpassing both of those guys in a lot of areas. So just just fun to watch. Just cool to see the development and just so fun to cheer for. I mean, he's got such a unique style of hockey that you can't do anything but enjoy it, right? I mean, that's, yeah. the, that's the thing about this awesome regular season run like it, no matter what i happens in the playoffs i think we can just at the end of the season still applaud this team and be in awe of what they've done this regular season because it's not only been exciting and entertaining and fun but it's just what we've been waiting for in colorado for so long and it's just mm-hmm. such a breath of fresh air to watch this type of hockey going on right in front of us yeah and the last note i'll make about kill mccarr here is you know, we talked a, a couple months ago about Nathan McKinnon finally reaching that point per game pace over his career. Pretty much the last four seasons erasing the fact that he was a 50, 60 kind of point guy in the first four years of his career. And those add up really quick, by the way. Like if you score 50 and 82 and then 50 and 82, you're now 64 points under a point per game. And that's that's a lot to make up because if you score 182 games, you only made up 18 points and then you got to do it again and again and again just to get to 60. So it took Nathan McKinnon until now to surpass that feat. Well, Kel McCarr's got 152 points in 151 games. He's already there. It's it's crazy. Like, is he wow. gonna is he gonna fall below a point per game anytime soon? He might. Like, all he has to do is go two straight games without a point. But is he gonna fall to the point where he's 20, 30, 40, 50 games under a point per game? I don't see it happening anytime soon. Not for the next decade. So it's it's again, we we really just need to sit back whether they win the cup or not. And you know, maybe they do, maybe they don't, but we really just need to sit back and appreciate what this team is doing. It's so much fun. Yeah, and with that, we can transition to Nathan McKinnon, right? Tallying another goal. That's five consecutive games with a goal for Nathan McKinnon. Like we've been talking about, he's been buzzing. Yeah, he's been unreal. He's got four in the last three games since he sat the game against Detroit. So I actually tweeted this yesterday. I didn't think it was going to do as well as it did, but uh, wow, I didn't even realize it was five straight games because he scored against Boston and Buffalo too. Look at that. Holy crap. Don't you fact check me. No, I was pulling it up to to talk about something else, but that's crazy. Sure, sure, sure. Hey, in the NHL's eyes, that's not even a five-game goal-scoring streak. 
because he missed a game in between. So it's just five straight games with a goal rather than five game goals. It's stupid. Um, but the funny thing is I tweeted this yesterday and it gained a lot more traction than I thought. I said 25% of Nathan McKinnon's 16 goals this year have come since Friday. And then you sit back and you're like, wait, what? And then you realize that it's true. He's got 16 regulation goal, 16 regular season goals, and he's got four in his last three games since Friday. And yesterday was Tuesday. Today's Wednesday. It's this is the Nathan McKinnon we know and love and we remember the dominant crazy guy that, you know, was was lights out against the Winnipeg Jets and, you know, had that great goal against the Vegas Golden Knights. And here he is again scoring another beauty and the first one of the game. So Nathan McKinnon bounced back in a big way these last four games. But I think there's a little more we want to talk about him, right? Yeah, absolutely. In a second, though, we still got a couple more things here. Uh, It was funny to be hearing Jared Bednar talk about how he at one point was really working with Nathan McKinnon on on getting these shots off and that there was way too many times where he was looking to pass, right? And we were mentioning that because he was loading up on assists, 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 assists really early on in the season. And it was just about moving his legs to find himself some more windows. And he's really, really good at the second any window opens, the shot's off. He he can get that that fired, you know, very Sidney Crosby-esque, Austin Matthews-esque. Um, so it was funny to hear him uh, kind of talk about how he, he had to work with Nathan McKinnon a guy who's maybe one of the most, you know, dangerous offensive weapons in the league. He had to tell him, buddy, you got to start shooting. You got to yeah. find windows for yourself and quit passing it. So it was funny yeah. for me to hear that from, from Bednar on McKinnon. It's, I mean, look, we, we, I don't think we talk enough about the fact that great players are coachable. Like, you know, you can put Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl out, or you can put Nathan McKinnon, Mika Rantanen out and be like, these guys are great at hockey. They'll figure out what to do. But then you put a great coach behind them or a person there that they can rely on, they can trust, they can take criticism from and be coachable from them. And you realize that they're so much better. Like, it's so crazy and it's so silly to think it. Like, Jared Bednar's not the all-star NHL player. It's Nathan McKinnon. But Jared Bednar plays a big role in why Nathan McKinnon is who he is, despite McKinnon being the guy with the God-given talent and the crazy work ethic. And I think we often forget how important a coach is to a player, even to someone like Nathan McKinnon, who can score and score at will, for a coach to just be like, hey, Nate, so we're starting practice here. I have a goal for you today. Shoot the damn puck more and then do it tomorrow in a game. And Nathan's like, oh, yeah, maybe I should do that. Does he end up getting to 30 tucks this year? Like you said, he's at 16. So 14 away, still plenty of time to do it. Yes. 35? As long as he plays... Eh, we'll see depending on how many games he plays but i mean he's got again he's he's scored in each of the last five games and i believe it's six goals now in the last five games i mean he's doing what he has to do it's just a matter of uh precautionary injury scratches load management type of thing or if he misses any more games if he creates like we said earlier <laughs> the new the new uh covid19 variant is going to be created by nathan mckinnon because of him and his terrible luck this year mckinnon if he doesn't mckinnon thank you nate Nate Cron, uh, as long, <laughs> sorry, we, this, I, I hate, I hate where we are now with COVID. Um, but yeah, as long as he plays the remaining games, which the avalanche are at 54. So what? 28 games. What are 14 goals for Nathan McKinnon in 28 games? What's One 19 goals game. for him to reach 35? Yeah. It's what's 19 goals in 28 games. Like it's, it's not a huge deal. Yeah. So with that, kind of like you said, it's really just about how much he's playing and how, much ice time he can handle right and that's where the conversation we kind of need to get into is 
is he fully healthy? What's your speculation? You know, it kind of seems to me oftentimes that uh, he's sparing some of his energy here and there, right? I don't know if he's fully committing himself defensively, and I don't think that's something that would fly with a guy like Jared Bednar if there wasn't an excuse to throw in there. Now, I'm not saying he's hurt, and I'm not saying he's not hurt, but to my eye, my observation it doesn't seem like he's at 100%. Sure, he's scoring goals. That's awesome. He could probably score goals in his sleep. That's what he does. He, he could score goals at 75%. But I just don't think. I think there's another level that he's not really reaching there in terms of his, I guess, physical performance. Just to the eye test. Just to the eye test. Nobody freak out on me. So starting with the defensive comment, um, let me ask you this. How much defense was Nathan McKinnon playing before this? Yeah. Is this really new? No, fair enough. Fair and enough. and I'm, not, I'm not bashing him by any means. I'm not sitting here coming out here being he's a one-dimensional player and he needs to do more. But those lackadaisical plays that you see every once in a while where McKinnon loses a battle against the boards or something like that and the puck's going the other way and you just see him kind of coasting like, you know, you can tell he's like, fuck, I lost the puck and he's just kind of controller unplugging it like... It happens, but it's not like he was this Patrice Bergeron player and now he's just doing his Nathan McKinnon thing. This is just who he is, but he's so damn good at everything else that he does that it doesn't matter if he has a couple of these here and there. Like it matters, but it's not a huge deal. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, is he using all the energy he could use? I, I genuinely don't think so. And I don't think it's because he's unhealthy. I think it's because he knows he wants to make a long playoff run. So... I went on a radio show on Monday and they asked me about Nathan McKinnon and this is what I said and this is exactly what I'm going to say here. And, and it's funny because this is now going to be the second time I reference him. We talked about it last week. Kawhi Leonard, regular season, let him sit, let him sit, let him sit, let him reserve that energy. Playoffs, full steam ahead. So I talked about it on Sunday. I talked about it on the radio show that I appeared on on Monday. Here we are. It's Wednesday. I'm going to say it again. Nathan McKinnon doesn't need to be the Nathan McKinnon that's going to go out there and win Art Ross trophies and battle hard and play 24 minutes a night every single game until he needs to do it in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm with it. I mean, uh, my speculation is just simply a theory, right? It's not me saying, I think this is what's going on. Yeah, yeah, I'm just yeah. like, you know, maybe there's a chance because there's doesn't seem, I think we've seen another level from and him. Maybe, maybe we're both right. Maybe he's... It, you know, saving his energy and also saying at the same time, hey, let me not overwork, you know, this lingering issue that kept me out of the Red Wings game. Let it heal while I kind of coast. And I use that word loosely because Nathan McKinnon coasting is six goals in five games. Uh, let me coast through the regular season a little bit and then go full steam ahead in the playoffs. I mean, the biggest thing that we always hear about the the Edmonton Oilers is what? It's the fact that, you know, now that Dave Tippett's fired, things have kind of changed. But before Dave Tippett got fired, it was always this idea that, like, the Oilers are a bubble playoff team, barely working to get into the playoffs. And in order to do so, they have to freaking play Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl 25 or 26 or 27 minutes a night to the point where by the time you get to the playoffs, yeah, they're going to win the Art Ross Trophy. They're going to put up 150 points, but they're tired. They're exhausted. As much as you want your guy, your superstar, to go out there and do what McDavid and Drysaddle were doing in the beginning of the season, you would much rather be in a case where the Avalanche are now. Nathan McKinnon's leading the team in points per game. He's having one of the best seasons of his career in terms of points per game, despite not playing a lot of games. And he's doing it while not playing as many taxing minutes 
not being as tough on his body, missing 15 games for various reasons. But all you need is for all the stars to align and for him to be ready to go game one of the playoffs. And he's not going to be tired like McDavid or Dreisaitl would have been. And you know his competitive competitive ass is probably saying, you know, even me at seventy five percent is better than the next guy. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go yeah. out there and just be seventy five percent me. So I, I'm 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 Nate Dog. I got this. Oh, <laughs> uh, who else we got to get into? Let's get into Darcy Kemper. You mentioned something earlier in the podcast about that uh, goal that was reviewed, how it shouldn't have squeaked in in the first place, right? And that's what we seem to have with Darcy Kemper. I mean, there was a while there where he was really playing some solid hockey, but. I think we have a pretty good enough sample size now from him to realize that he is just leaky. He has holes in his body sometimes that it the puck squeaks through. I mean, maybe it's a product of having that big body. It's hard to compress so quickly, but he makes a lot of the saves that he needs to make. He makes a lot of saves that he maybe shouldn't be making, but there are a, a ton of the goals he lets in are saves he absolutely should have had and he just it's it's he's got holes he's leaky I think that's the best way I can describe it yeah and I mean we saw it even not just on the overturn goal but the goal that went in in the first period the the 64 mile per hour shot from the blue line that just beat him it was very strange um you know I always like to rely on you for oh wait 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 that was Kale McCarr's bad Kale McCarr was screening the hell out of him, trying to oh, make a kick yeah. save of his own. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, that's true. Kemper couldn't that's see true. that puck. Yeah, that's true. No, th- that makes a lot of sense, yeah. But uh, was it Boston, the one that went five-hole and just kind of trickled? Yeah, I mean, we see it all past the time. Goal line. Those, those are the yeah. type of goals yeah. he lets in. Those, Yeah, they, they happen quite often. What we saw last year with Philip Grubauer was not a lot of that, but again, Grubauer didn't face as many shots, but we did see that with Gruby against the Vegas Golden Knights, and that's kind of what I always go back to. I always go back to game six when the Avalanche scored the first goal, took a one nothing lead, and then Vegas tied it shortly thereafter because the puck was on the left side and Gruby was looking to the right for whatever reason. He kind of, he lost where the puck was. So, you know, I always like to rely on you for the goalie thing because you've played goalie. But like you just said, Darcy Kemper, 6'5 and 215, and I'm not even trying to like make a joke and take a shot at you, but you don't know what it's like to play, play goalie at 6'5 yeah, right. and 215. You're not that big. So it is a different position. But... um I think the biggest thing with Darcy Kemper is, look, your your season's going to ride or die with this guy. Ride or die with this guy. That's funny. Um, you're not going to go out and trade for a goalie at the deadline. You're going to look at you guys shaking your heads at me. You're not going to go out and trade for a goalie at the deadline. You're not going to bring in Marc-Andre Fleury. Um, and quite frankly, how many teams in the NHL, this is the most important point, how many teams in the NHL have that goalie, kind of like an NFL QB, where you can say this is a no issues at all, no debate at all, an all-star that doesn't let in leaky goals that you know is the man. How many can you name? Because I got three off the top of my head right now. I'm thinking two right now only. Who, who, who do you got? Uh, this season, I'm going with Vasilevsky, and Saros has been more than dependable. I mean... And Shesterkin. Shesterkin's at like a 940. Those are the, those are the three. Yeah, exactly. So, like, Connor Hellebuck's got it in him, but he doesn't do it every season. We saw the same thing with Carey Price. He never really does it in the regular season. He did win the Hart Trophy that one year in the Vezina. He doesn't always do it in the regular season, but he seems to do it in the playoffs. And obviously, Carey's not even playing this year, and his team's not going to the playoffs. Um, Henrik Lundqvist was one of the guys that you knew you could always rely on, Marty Brodeur, Patrick Wall. But, like, those guys don't always exist. So, like, look at the teams that are making a run. Who's the goalie in Carolina? 
Freddie Anderson. Yeah, so if you remember Freddie Anderson with the Toronto Maple Leafs, he was always the guy that couldn't get out of the first round. Are we talking enough about the fact that the Carolina Hurricanes' starting goalie is a guy that has struggled in Game 7s against Boston for the last three years, which is also the team that Carolina might play in the first round? And then you look at the Florida Panthers, who's their guy? Bob. Mr. Bob. Exactly. Mr. Bob. And Mr. Bob is one of the more inconsistent goalies. Mm -hmm. Some goalies are inconsistent on a week-to-week basis. Bobrovsky's season to season. He's a Vezina Trophy finalist. He's overpaid. He's a Vezina Trophy winner. He's overpaid. He's, it's just, it's so strange how it kind of goes back and forth like that. I mean, even the Islanders last year, when the Islanders, the last two seasons have been making these runs, who's their guy been? It's been Semyon Varlamov, and we know him very well. He's not one of the best goalies in the NHL, but he's good enough to win you a cup. The Vegas Golden Knights, yeah, they had Marc-Andre Fleury, but who's been the guy leading the charge in the playoffs the last two seasons? It's Robin Leonard. So when you look at Darcy Kemper and you mention all of these guys that I just kind of walked through outside of, again, Vasilevsky, Soros, and Shesterkin, I mean, he's right there. He's right there with the rest of them. So if you're the Avalanche, you just got to hope you don't get goalied. You don't end up playing against a team where, let's say, I don't know, the eight seed uh, LA Kings and John Quick or Cal Peterson just shut you down for four games like we saw with the Blue Jackets against the Lightning, which, by the way, the Blue Jackets goalie was Bobrovsky at the time, you're hoping that Kemper's the guy that can do that. So, yes, he lets in leaky goals. He's not a Vasilevsky, but the Avalanche are going to live and die with this goalie. Exactly. They've made their bed, and, and they're going to have to lay in it for better or for worse with him. And he's the biggest question mark heading into the playoffs, of course, but the thing about this team is he's not going to have to be that sharp every night, right? I mean, the, the strength of the offense in front of him, any given night can just turn it on at any given moment. So, I mean, if there's a night where he's having a bad one, you can probably rely on the fact that the offense might get him through it anyway. And if there's uh, a night where maybe the offense isn't there, chances are it, it's going to be a good night from Kemper because he really doesn't have that many stinkers of nights, right? He does have weak goals. He has stinkers of goals, but as complete games, I don't think he has entire 60 minutes of bad starts. So I think that's no. something they can rest their hat on too. Yeah. We saw a couple of them maybe in October and even those were kind of the avalanche were still figuring out their defensive structure. But uh, I mean, overall I've been impressed with him this season. His, his 27 wins are third in the NHL. I believe he's, he's right up there with the best of them. And you know, it's, it's easy to win a lot of games when you're playing for the team that has the most wins, but let's go back to those goldies we discussed Freddie Anderson is 29-7-2, Vasilevsky is 29-8-4, and then sitting in third place, Darcy Kemper is 27-6-2. So he's got two fewer uh, victories than both of those guys. He started the same amount of games as Freddie Anderson. He's got three fewer than Vasilevsky. And then in fourth place, here's another guy we didn't even mention today is Tristan Jari. He's 26-11-6. He's got a 921 save percentage. He's got four shutouts. But again, he's another one of those guys. He's not the best in the NHL. He's not the worst in the NHL. He can get you there, but he's not by any means a Vasilevsky. Another one of those, Jacob Markstrom with the Calgary Flames, who's incredibly got eight shutouts already this size this season, but he's 25-11-5. He's got a 9-27. So Kemper's right there, man. He's, he's right there in the wins. He's right there with the goalies. He's in that upper echelon of goalies around the NHL, and he's playing for the best regular season team so far. Um this is the best chance you can get. I mean, unless yeah. you're going to pay your Vasilevsky nine million, like this is this is the guy you're going to go with. 
Yeah, I mean, people make mistakes, but you, you just got to rely on the fact that this team is so strong that they get through and, and overcome those mistakes together with, you know, somebody rising to the occasion. Um, a couple things that more to get to here. Jack Johnson's thousandth game, we alluded to it a little bit earlier, but I know I want to dive into this a little bit more because it was a unique thousandth game, right? We haven't seen one here in Colorado in a really long time. And, uh, you know, despite he's only been here for just this season, it really felt like the organization, the team appreciated him at, at a bit deeper level than only having been here in such a short time. Yeah, so that was his 50th game with the Avalanche. So literally 5% of his games have been played with the Avalanche, but just something about him. You can tell they love this guy. Number one, Eric Johnson knows him really well, and that's why he was the one that gave him the stick You know, from way back in their national development team program days. But he's a great person. He's a great teammate. That's the quote from Jared Bednar. All the guys love him. Some of the guys even presented him with gifts this morning in our meeting in private. Jack Johnson, I mean, you've been in his press availabilities this season. He's a lovable guy. He's such a genuine family guy that like, you know, and I say family guy as in like, he's got a family at home. Yes. But when you stick him in the locker room, he's a glue guy. He's part of the family. And that's what you feel with this guy. My favorite part about that ceremony yesterday, there's been some awkward ones in the NHL. The Toronto Maple Leafs once traded for Eric Brewer. And he was there for like four days and played his 1000th game and the fans and like the organ, just everything about it was awkward. They're like, congratulations <laughs> on your 1000th game. And they're giving him the silver stick and the Toronto Maple Leafs home fans are like, all right, TikTok, and we get to the game. Who the hell is this guy? We don't even know him. So with Jack Johnson, you didn't get that feeling. He'd only been there for 50 games, but it felt like he was part of the family. He's had enough of an impact. And it goes way, way back to the fact that he was a league minimum PTO that burst onto the scene and ended up earning a contract. And we're all like, okay, good. The Avalanche now have a seventh defenseman option. What did I say in the beginning of the season 15 times? Well, now you don't got to play the Kyle Burrows and the Keaton Middletons. You have Jack Johnson as your seventh guy. Seventh guy. He's played 50 of the 54 freaking games. And he missed a couple because of COVID. So like he's part of the team, but he's made an impression on this team to the point where Everybody appreciates him. The fans were appreciating him. They did that tribute for him beforehand where they kind of ran him through all the teams he's been on. And then they showed the goal from opening night, the only goal he scored to the Avalanche. And you can just tell everybody was rallying around this guy. And and it was a very special moment. And I thought, I thought it was very well done. Um, and he's earned it, man. He's a great guy. Probably the only goal he will score in an Avalanche sweater. <laughs> and if it is, guess. so be it. It was a nice one. Yeah, but from PTO to being honored in a ceremony, I think that's pretty impressive in itself. And uh, I'm just curious as to what the team gave him privately. He doesn't strike me as yeah. a Rolex type of guy. I wish we knew a little bit more about what those gifts were. <laughs> yeah, I'm really interested as well. You know, speaking on that note, the, the trade deadline is March 21st. Claude Giroux is slated to play his 1,000th game. Assuming he doesn't miss any, he is slated to play his 1,000th game on March 17th. Oh, so we might so, see a second. So trades often can happen, kind of like Tyler Toffoli before the deadline. But Claude Giroux's got a no-movement clause or no-trade clause. and Actually, I don't even know if he does have those or not. But I do know that he kind of controls his fate. The Flyers are going to give him the respect as the captain of this team for the last decade or however many years to be able to say, all right, now it's time. They're not going to trade him without talking to him. So if you're Claude Giroux and, you know, whether it's the Avalanche or elsewhere, let's just use the Avalanche as an example, and your GM comes to you and goes, it's March 12th, we got a deal done. He's just going to be like, 
can we just wait four days? Let me play my South thousandth game here. Let me salute the crowd. Let them salute me. And the funny thing is that scenario wouldn't even happen because the Flyers GM knows this too. Claude Giroux is going to be a trade deadline day trade because of that example I just explained with Eric Brewer and the Maple Leafs. They're not going to let it get to that. He's going to play his thousandth game. Knock on wood. Hopefully he doesn't miss any games before then. He's going to get the ovation he deserves, the ceremony he deserves in front of the team that he's been on for the last however many years now, drafted way back in 06, and then he's going to get traded four days later. Kind of feels like the smoke around that fire, the Giroux to Colorado, has has died out a little bit. Well, I mean, because it started in late January and the deadline's March 21st, what are we going to do, hype this up for seven weeks every single day? Like, at some point, we got to be like, all right, let's shut up until they're ready to trade him. Well, I thought the Toffoli trade was going to be the first domino to start getting some moves going, but I guess I was I was wrong about that, but not the first time, definitely not hey, the last. Hey, it's March 2nd. We could see a lot more trades, but I w- whether the Toffoli thing starts it or not and whether the Avalanche are in on Drew or not, I genuinely think he's not going anywhere until he plays that thousandth game. Guys, don't forget that the NCAA Men's Ice Hockey West Regional Championship is being hosted by Denver University this year. I prefer to call them University of Denver, but mixes up the D-U-C-U thing. Uh, Because, you know, it's weird. University of Colorado is C-U. University of Denver is D-U. They're both flip-flopped. But, yeah, anyway, they're they're hosting the uh, (laughs) regional championship in Loveland this year. A great chance for all of us to catch some awesome NCAA hockey and meaningful hockey at that. Two semifinal games on Thursday, March 24th. You can get one ticket for both of those games. And then there's a championship game on Saturday, March 26th. You can get two-day packages or you can get a single-day ticket, whatever you want to go. But I definitely encourage you to go check out some of this quality hockey. So winner of the regional final will go to the Frozen Four in Boston on April 7th and 9th. DU is making their push. I think they've had a couple of tough losses lately, so we'll see how they uh, squeak out the rest of the season. But it's their second year hosting it. Last year they had no fans, so it doesn't really count. So this is technically the first year. Uh, but right now, the, the projected teams, guys, are North Dakota, Notre Dame, Denver, and BU as in Boston University. So that's some quality hockey being played. Do not miss it. There's multiple hotels up there within walking distance of the rink, multiple bars, multiple restaurants. Go up there. Have a blast. You'll probably see Arif, myself, and Patrick. Let's go. Maybe even getting a little rowdy. Get a little nuts together, huh? Hey. Um so yeah, that'll be fun. Looking forward to it. All right, let's wrap. Start to wrap up the show. Prepare our descent safety belts on here. Um, I know you wanted to get to a Jared Bednar comment in last night's post game before we really head out here. So have at it. Yeah, it's a little bit of a story here. Jared Bednar. If if you're wondering how awesome this guy is to work with, uh, yesterday during the press conference, you know, media availability. Everybody tries to ask a question at once. Some guy wins. The other people kind of just wait their turn. So I'm usually pretty good at it, but I got beat three times in a row. I would start talking at the same time somebody else would start talking. So their question would go through rather than mine. It happened once. It happened second time. It happened the third time. And all three times I was trying to ask him a question about Landis Gog's goal. So I would say Landis Gog, and then I would just stop talking. And then it happened again and then stopped. And then it happened again and then stopped. After the third time, Jared Bednar finished answering his question, staring at the guy that asked it. I think it was Mike Chambers, staring at Mike Chambers, answering it. As soon as he finished it, he turned and looked at me. He pointed at me. Somebody tried to overmatch me, but he kept his finger pointed at me saying, ask your damn question. It's your turn. I'm hearing what's happening to you and it's embarrassing. 
<laughs> like that was kind of, it was so, it was just like, it kind of reminds you how nice a human this guy is that he literally just looked at me and he was like, like, go, what did you want to say? I'm not letting this yeah. happen to you again. Like just shout out Jared Bender. He turned 50 years old the other day. His biceps make him look like he's 25, but he's, he's such a nice dude. Right. Professional, respectful, and he doesn't play favorites, right? In that media room, he'll answer no. everybody's question with the same amount of respect and the same amount of regard. And he's thorough about every single one. Even a little tiny question, he gives you the respect of answering it as with every thought he could possibly spill yep. out of his mouth at you. So, um, yeah, it's been nothing but a treat to cover a guy like Jared Bednar. He's been awesome. So that brings us to our Twitter question of the day. We just randomly got a question. We didn't put a call out for questions. Just happened to get one from one of our very loyal followers, Marie in Denver. So, Marie, this one's for you. We're answering your question. Shout out. Thanks for uh, engaging with us. We have we love it. So, you know, that's a call to everybody else. You have a question for us? Feel free to reach out on Twitter. We'll definitely get to it. So, her question is, Arif, in the history of the Calder Trophy since thirty two thirty three. Right, that's when they first started giving out. They did give out rookie awards before that, but it wasn't called the Calder Trophy. Her question is: Has a team ever had three Calder Trophy winners on it? If you've got Landy, you've got McKinnon, you've got McCarr, but does any other team in history have three Calder Trophy winners on it? The answer is yes. There are teams out there that have multiple Calder Trophy, three Calder Trophy winners on it. However, there's a major difference, Arif, and I want you to break it down for us. Yeah, so the Avalanche are the first team to have three Calder Trophy winners on the team where they won it, on the team where they were drafted, on the team where they basically made a name for themselves. And obviously, it's Nathan McKinnon, by the way, eight seasons ago, holy eight years ago, holy shit, Gabe Landeskog 10 years ago, and Kel McCarr, obviously, in 2020, a couple years ago. So we've seen it in the past with teams where players get traded later it's kind of like in 2017 18 i remember this was like everybody's favorite statistic the avalanche have three number one overall picks on their team they are dominant and i'm like okay so who are they nathan mckinnon eric johnson who they acquired in trade and neil yakupov who they just signed for league minimum as a ufa because he was pretty much a bust of a that's first a great point pick. like so yeah so you can have multiple calder trophy winners on your team at once but the Avalanche are the first one where it's like their three guys. It's their guys. It's kind of like the Oilers when they actually had Yakupov, Nugent Hopkins, and Taylor Hall and Connor McDavid all on the roster. Like that, they can say, we've got three number one overall picks on the team. They drafted all of them. They're their guys. So the Avalanche are the first team to have three Calder Trophy winners on the same team at the same time that want it there, that were drafted there, that are homegrown talent there, that are going to win the Stanley Cup together in 2022. I mean, you get what I mean, right? Just had to throw just it had to throw that in there. It legitimizes all the pain and suffering Avalanche fans had been through yeah. for so long, right? That's why you waited. That's why you watched some terrible hockey. That's why you went and screamed at Joe Sacco for a couple <laughs> years about how terrible he was running the team. So Days like today could happen. My favorite part about it is what I just mentioned. 10 years ago, 8 years ago, and 2 years ago. They sucked so bad that 10 years ago and 2 years ago, they had high draft picks. And by the way, the one that won it 2 years ago was a kid that was drafted 4th overall in the season where they were the freaking worst team, but fell to 4th. 
So it's not like the Oilers where it was like one season after the next, after, or the Quebec Nordiques when they drafted Nolan and Sundin and, you know, all those guys one year after the other and Eric Lindros. It was eight years, 10 years, nine years apart between high draft picks because they were that bad for that long. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So that with that, we've got more Avs hockey to watch, right? So they got Arizona on Thursday, which is probably tonight. If you're listening to this on Thursday morning, we're recording here Wednesday evening. And uh, the game we've been anticipating for a while, the Calgary Flames in Ball Arena on Saturday. Funny thing, they play Calgary three times this month. So yeah, we're going to be good games. Those are going to get to see this battle often. And I'm excited for it. Yeah, and they got the Carolina Hurricanes coming up soon as well. So these are going to be some tough games between the top teams in the NHL. And just fun ones, fun ones to yes. watch. Bingo. So yeah, Arif, closing thoughts. That's all she wrote from me. We're 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 stretching almost at an hour here on one game. So shout out to Patrick for doing all the work. We failed at our forty minute goal once again, but hey, I love it. I love having too much content and not not enough content. So. That being said, thanks everybody for hanging out with us in this midweek short edition of the podcast. I say short in air quotes. Of course, if you made it this far in the podcast, definitely bless your pretty little heart. Let's make hockey for everyone. And we out you.